0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. Change the way you write with Grammarly Go, offering personalized generative AI communication assistance. Grammarly Go helps you ideate, compose, rewrite, and reply thoughtfully. Go to Grammarly.com slash go.
2: It's always good to talk to somebody else from the Midwest. I'm from the Detroit area, so.
3: Oh, okay. So we're going to keep it real 100 up in here today. We will, we will, we will, we okay. will. Okay, you know how Midwest people do.
2: <laughs> we talk straight. <laughs> real,
3: real, too real.
2: Hey there, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. And y'all, get ready to wake up in a new world because tomorrow, Beyonce officially kicks off the Renaissance World Tour. I don't know about you, but I am ready to finally get some visuals for my favorite album of 2022. And to mark the occasion, today I'm revisiting my 2022 conversation with DJ Honey Dijon, one of the producers of Beyoncé's Renaissance.
1: Please do not be alarmed. Remain calm. Do not attempt to leave the dance floor. I played that album
2: out, of course, because it made me want to move. It made me want to dance. It made me want to party. But also because when I dug into it, I found a rich history. That's because Renaissance is a love letter to dance music's Black queer roots. And Beyoncé didn't just pay homage she literally hired the source.
3: My role for her in creating this album, I wanted to do the community justice.
2: My guest today, Honey Dijon, is a legendary DJ who's blessed dance floors around the world with her talent. I was lucky enough to catch a set of hers in Brooklyn, and I do not exaggerate when I say that it changed my life. You see, Honey was there when house music was born. She was just a teenager sneaking into sweaty warehouses with other young queer black kids, absolutely going off. And for Renaissance, she advised Beyoncé on what those spaces sounded and felt like. So
3: I sent her books on voguing, and I sent her books on Paris is Burning.
0: You own everything.
3: And I said her. Songs that, you know, were played in Chicago that may not be universally
0: known.
3: Club anthems in New York that may not be universally known. I just wanted it to be a love letter to the community and done in the right way. And she knocked it out of the park. That's
2: what
1: you are.
2: Today, honey is taking us back to those parties that helped her discover herself. And as one of the only black trans DJs playing the biggest clubs in the world, she's paving the way for future generations to do the same. You're from Chicago. Southside. Southside. I'm real Southside. We've got to be specific. We have to be specific. Yeah, receipts. <laughs> but but you are from. Chicago South Side, which uh, and Chicago is famously the birthplace for warehouse music, or house music for short, mm-hmm. and and that's mm-hmm. where you started going to warehouse parties. And I mean, I might have the timeline wrong, but I'm guessing well, we don't based deal upon- in timelines. Okay, here. good. good. <laughs> we don't deal in timelines. Time is a flat circle.
3: But yes, I grew up in Chicago.
2: Were you technically old enough to be out partying? Like, Did you have to sneak out of the house? I lied and snuck out of the house like (laughs) most teenagers
3: do, saying I was going to study homework at a friend's house and we would go out. A lot of early house music parties were held in Catholic school auditoriums Mm -hmm. and you could get a fake ID and as long as you were 16 or 18 plus, you could get into the club. So Mm. I was a 13-year-old dressed like I was 25. (laughs) Talk to me about what those parties were like. What was the vibe? Unfiltered abandon. <laughs> you just had, you know, all this teenage energy and angst and community, and it was just electric. And people, you know, I don't know if you know of the famous house track called Jackie Body. Jack, jack, jack your body. And so that was a form of dance where you would just jack the speaker. I mean, people would literally get in front of the speaker and you were just like you were on a pogo stick and you were just jacking the speaker. (laughs) I always tell people, you ain't been to a party till you've been to a party like how black folks party because black folks party (laughs) with their entire being. It's true. From the rooter to the tutor, from the hair follicles to the toenails, we use every part of our body.
2: Honey Dijon is now a world-renowned DJ, but she's also a dance floor historian. She's watched as dance music has evolved from those underground warehouse parties into a billion-dollar industry. And I wanted to know, can the dance floors of today give us the same liberation she found as a teenager? So you are a big Lifetime vinyl collector. Lifetime vinyl collector. Lifetime. Lifetime. What is the, the best, most important record that you've got in your collection? How are you going to ask me that
3: question?
2: <laughs> I'm just
3: like, literally, I'm thinking of
2: the B-52s, Mesopotamia. I'm thinking of Grace Jones' Nightclubbing. I'm For of- as long as she can remember, Honey has been collecting music. So I'm not surprised she went on for several minutes, listing off all the music she wanted to put at the top of her best of list.
3: I'm thinking of every Chardet 12-inch that I have. Mm. But if I had to narrow it down to one, the one that gives me the most joy is When You Wake Up Tomorrow by Candy State.
0: When you wake up tomorrow.
3: It was the end of the night at a loft party, and my best friend Derek Carter played it. And it just so resonated with me spiritually and musically and vibrationally, lyrically, being hopeful in love.
2: At one of Honey's sets, it's not unusual to hear a Shaka Khan vocal. Minutes before she plays a classic by a Swedish synth-pop group. That's because she's absorbed so much music throughout her life. And that all started at home. You got your start as a DJ by playing music as a kid at your parents' parties. My parents used to have basement parties. Talk to me about the music that you would play at those parties.
3: Oh, well, I mean... So when you want to talk about atmospheres, mm-hmm. so I would play my hour, and then they would put me to bed with... You
2: played a full... They, they let you play a full
3: hour? Well, my bedtime was like nine, my bedtime was like nine o'clock, uh-huh. so I could play from eight to nine. Before it got totally jumping, right? But then we would go to bed, and then around 11 o'clock, we would start hearing all this laughter and cursing, and <laughs> we could smell the cigarette smoke, and glasses breaking, and it was just like, what is this world? And we would sit on the top of the steps. Mm-hmm. Because we knew they weren't coming up, because they were too busy partying. (laughs) And that's when I would hear all the music. The Whispers, my dad loved The Whispers. Mm. And The Beat Goes On must have been on rotation like 500 times. That's a good point. Jackson, Shaka Khan, you know, Shaka Khan was a huge influence, mm. Minnie Ripperton, the Osley Brothers, mm. there was lots of Marvin Gaye, and, you know, it, it was really, I like to call it black consciousness music because it was, you know, at that time it was post-civil rights and
2: mm-hmm. so those were the records I would play. You know, you're, you're at, at your parents' house. You're playing music for their parties. Like, are you starting already at that age to notice how people are responding to different songs? Oh yeah, I got off on just sharing the music. Mm. This is so good. You have to hear this. They brought me
3: this sort of sense of fulfillment that just hasn't left me. Mm. I think I was just born to do this. Mm. And I'm not. I'm not saying that with um, humility and not with arrogance. That this is just something that I came into the world and I was. I could because I could have been. I could have been born any time. Mm. You know how many accidents have to happen for your parents to meet and have you? Ta, huh, it's the truth. How many chance encounters and how many random things that the randomness of life of of you to be here
2: and here you are and here I am. Coming up, I talk with DJ Honey Dijon about the history of dance music, its roots in liberation, and her contribution
1: to Beyonce's hit album Renaissance.
0: From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu.
1: When voters
0: talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learn. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections.
2: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce, revisiting my 2022 conversation with DJ Honey Dijon. I, I know you would spend a lot of time in your room listening to music with headphones and I did. flipping through fashion magazines. Like, Take me back to that room. Like, What are you listening to? What clothes were you obsessed with? Well, I had a little room.
3: Well, I shared it with my sister for years, and then we moved to the suburbs when I was about 15. And then I got my own room, and I used to plaster my walls with... Women's Wear Daily was this huge newspaper, and sure. I used to plaster my walls with with the Women's Wear Daily. But I was very bullied as a child, so music and fashion were my two; those were my escapes, mm-hmm. and those were those were my friends. Mm. And I got also not only from the kids in school, but my father's brother was a tailor, and that's when I discovered GQ and Vogue. Because whenever my dad would take me over to have his clothes fit or tailored for him, I would see these magazines. And I was hooked at this imagery because it was so beautiful. And it was such um, the opposite of the ugliness that I was experienced as being bullied. Mm. And so during my teenage years, I just would hold up in my room and dance. I was a dancer before I became a DJ, mm. like a club dancer. So I would just put on all my South Soul records and, you know, Hit and Run by Lolita Holloway, First Choice. And I would just dance with me. I would dance with myself and then read magazines for hours. Not knowing how I was going to fit into these worlds, but it was just, this is what gave me joy.
2: It's so interesting, like, um, being able to, when I think about, like, how young people might develop. Um, a sense of taste or a sense of style or just their own sensibility. Now Mm -hmm. I came of age, like right I think at the tail end of being able to like figure that stuff out Mm -hmm. pre-internet. But it's, Mm. it's so cool that, that you were able to have this experience of, like you said, dancing with yourself, looking at magazines on your own, putting these things on your wall, developing your own sense of self, your own sense of taste like as an individual, without necessarily looking looking outward, I think that's so cool. Well,
3: I mean, it's so funny that you say that because you know we had Ebony and Jed around the house, but we, mm-hmm. <laughs> we of didn't. Course, my parents of were, course. you know, you know, you know, because Black people are very. How you look is, you know, I think that comes from oppression, like, you know, Sunday's best. And so Black people pay a lot of attention to how they look mm-hmm. and present themselves. Because that's
2: a form of empowerment. Mm-hmm.
3: you got to look sharp when you leave the house.
2: I mean, like you say, you just said your father's brother was a tailor. So it's like a, the, the fashion thing also was a family thing. It's a family thing. And I
3: think it's part of Black culture, you know? Absolutely. Because um, so much of our humanity was stripped away from us. And so that was a way of reclaiming our humanity. But yeah, it's so funny because me and my best friend talk about this. Like We're really this middle transition generation Mm -hmm. because we went from analog to digital. Mm -hmm. So we know what life is like before and also what life is like now. So I'm glad I had that chance to really engage with myself on that level instead of having... Because the thing about social media and the thing about the digital world, Mm -hmm. things are chosen for you. Mm, Through an algorithm, right. Instead of you actually going out into the world and looking for yourself. Hmm. And you tend to find yourself in an echo chamber. And the thing about pre-internet is like, there were so many accidents <laughs> and so much discovery. You know, I would go to record stores, and this is one of the things I hate about, miss about physical record stores. Mm-hmm. You could walk into a record store and hear music that you never would have looked, picked for yourself right, and found yourself in love with it. Right. I always think about that in physics, just because, you know, what you don't see is also there. Mm. I, if I'm being fed things that I know all the time, mm. how boring would that be if you're served your favorite dish every day? Too much sugar makes anyone sick, honey.
0: Believe you deserve all the things you see for yourself and more. Commit yourself to this moment in your body.
2: I have to be honest. I have been a little depressed since I left Honey's show because now I want to see her every single weekend for the rest of my life. That same sense of self-discovery Honey's talking about is exactly what I found on her dance floor. I got lost in the music and got in touch with a piece of myself I hadn't seen in a long time. And life is a little sweeter because of it. Recently, you collaborated on a creation that I would say most of the world has heard at this point You were recruited by Beyonce to work on her album, Renaissance.
0: This a reminder.
2: And you produced Cozy and Alien Superstar. What was it like working with Beyonce on those songs, on that album, and sharing your experiences of the scenes that made you?
3: Well, first of all, I had to pick my jaw off the ground when that call came. (laughs) I was like, how does Beyonce know about me? You know what I mean? It was just sort of like a coming... It was so humbling and... To feel that the work that you've been doing and your lived experience was being acknowledged by someone of that caliber, mm. so it was very humbling. And one of the things that I was told from her team was that you know she wanted to make this dance record and she wanted to go to the true source of Chicago house music, and that was mm. like I, I you know I think of so many people that have laid the groundwork for me to be able to express that, you know, Mm -hmm. I think of the Frankie Knuckles and the Ron Hardys and the Derek Carters and the Lori Branches and all of these amazing artists that have gone before me. And for Beyonce to acknowledge that was just so gratifying and it made me proud. I had to pat myself on the back and my mother always says, you may see my glory, but you don't know my story. Mm. And I just thought about all of the years of, being told no, or what I was doing was being misunderstood, or
1: mm.
3: I was even told sometimes that my music was too sophisticated. And hmm. so when I when that call came, it was just, it was such a proud moment
2: for me. So the album was about celebrating Black music history. Music history. Does it feel mm-hmm. like? Those places and the community that the music built, the community that you were able to be such an integral part of when you were, you know, when you're in your early, early days. My formative years, yeah. Your formative years. Are those types of spaces, is that kind of community, like capital H history? Like, or do you still find places like like them around the world? No, because,
3: you know, you're talking about, an art form that's 40 years old. And so it's evolved, Mm. you know, and new Mm. generations bring to it what their vibe is. I think we're starting to see more Black artists come through dance music because for a long time, house music and dance music was considered white music. Right, It's been so far removed from the origins um, that a lot of Black people even think house music is white music.
2: Like they always talk about umps and it's like there's so much more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, much yeah, more yeah. than they that. You know,
3: they you know, they, don't, they hear a 4/4 four four kick drum and they think it's house music. 4/4 four four goes back to disco and R&B. Mm. What I try to do in my work is create the vibe of those spaces that I experienced. But, you know, dance music now is commercial and it's been commodified. Mm -hmm. It's a big business. It's a billion-dollar business, especially in Europe. EDM and Tech House in America has taken over. Mm -hmm. There's a party called Queen at Smart Bar that still has the ethos of that time. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're smaller parties. But they do exist around the world.
2: You know you you you're name dropping all these places from around the world. I mean you you have traveled the world playing music and you played at some of the the biggest, most quote unquote important venues in the world and 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 just like those parties that you went to as a kid, I'm sure those places have changed you or taught you something mm-hmm. about yourself. Like what parts mm-hmm. of you have you discovered on the biggest stages that you've played?
3: Well, I've had to learn how to entertain educate, and enlighten at the same time. Mm, Say
2: more about that.
3: Because most of the people that are at clubs now, at festivals, are between 18 and
0: 24.
2: Ooh,
3: yeah. So you're talking about a whole generation of people that didn't get to experience the 90s. They were born in 2000. Someone born in 2000 now is
2: 23. Oh, you said that. I'm just like, ah, (laughs) you're right. Yeah, they
3: hit you, you, right? (laughs) Yeah, that was a, oh,
2: I was like two thousand. I was like I was already wearing a bra. And yeah. By then. <laughs> so yeah. So what I
3: don't ever want to do is go into a space thinking that it was better when I was doing it. Mm. So I always try to go into these spaces and connect with what's going on now, play things that I experienced, mm-hmm. but also be true to who I am. So there's a there's a very, there's a juggling act because you don't want to be the the DJ that's. Or the soapbox saying, Oh my God, but the club was better 20 years ago because the club for them is great now. This is their now. Right. And so, and I'm DJing now. (laughs) Exactly. So, what I've had to learn to do is be honest, but also
2: not be arrogant. Mm. That's like, that seems like um, one of those lessons that comes with mastery. It's like, okay, I've got all the knowledge. Now, what do I do with it?
3: It comes from, actually, I think my skill set comes from being othered Mm. and being marginalized within the marginalization. You know, being a trans woman of color, I didn't really fit. Mm -hmm. So I went to all different kinds of scenes to try to find a connection, you know. I, I think I've DJed every kind of iteration of a party, gay white parties, black gay parties. I DJed a black gay hip hop party, mm-hmm. straight parties, weddings, festivals. <laughs> I DJed on the t- on bar tops and bars and I've DJed a hundred capacity room to
2: 10,000
3: people at Red Rocks. Wow, wow.
2: That must've been nuts.
3: Yeah. yeah I, I opened for disclosure five years ago at Red Rocks mm-hmm. and so I've had the good fortune of being able to have been all types of environments to mm. walk into something and being able to read the room. They call it experiential. My art is experiential. Mm. And all of the things that I was marginalized for or, or oppressed for have become my
2: strengths or i have turned my weaknesses into strengths. Mm. Have you met uh, and or seen people be able to grow and find themselves in those late night parties? That you d j oh yeah, the way that you were able to at that point in your life, well, in their own way, yes, of course, mm-hmm. I mean,
3: I see a new generation of kids coming up. I can tell that they've feel a bit more liberated just by my existence and what I stand mm-hmm. for. I've had people tell mm-hmm. me they've met their spouses and future partners on my dance floor, I mean, I just had that sunday <laughs> oh my 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 boyfriend just proposed to me on the dance floor, and I wanted you to know, and so. The club is community for me, and it always will be. I can love you. So one of the things that I always tell people when they want to become a DJ, I say, well, why? Well, I love music, and I want to share it with people. So, you don't need to be a DJ with that. You can do that without being a DJ. What is it that you want to do as a DJ? Um, do you want to contribute to culture? Do you have a voice that you want to connect people? My work is based on... I build community through sound, Mm. and I try to create spaces of liberation. and
2: And you can hear Honey putting that into practice on her album, Black Girl Magic. Just listen to this track. Love is a state of mind. This is the energy I'm taking into 2023. Honey, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm so glad you came on and that you lent us your time. Oh. You are so knowledgeable and, um, oh. and I, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with us.
3: Oh, thanks. If I didn't share what am I going to do with it? <laughs> That's Keep true. Keep it to myself. How boring. That's
2: what they always say. They say, you know. I already know everything I know. <laughs> my mom says you can't take it with you.
3: So there you go. You cannot take it with you.
2: Exactly. That was my 2022 conversation with DJ... Honey Dijon. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Liam McBain, Alexis Williams,
1: Corey Antonio Rose,
0: Jessica Mendoza.
2: Our intern is
1: Jamal Michelle.
2: Our editor is
1: Jessica placheck
2: Engineering support came from Carly Strange,
1: Ko Takasugi Chernobyl.
2: Our executive producer is Varilyn Williams. Our VP of Programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of Programming is Anya Grundman. And before we go, have you signed up for It's Been a Minute Plus yet? Becoming a Plus subscriber is a great way to support the work we are doing here at NPR. And you'll get to listen to this show without any sponsor breaks. So head over to plus.npr.org slash it's been a minute to find out more. And to everyone who's already signed up, thank you so, so much. All right, that's our show for today. I'm Brittany Luce. See you next week for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person.